Let's pray. Father, indeed, as we come to your word, we pray that you would please show us more of who you are and show us more of your will for us, that we might respond by living lives worthy of you and pleasing you in every way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if there's something that you'd like to be really good at, uh, something that you would like to excel at. Maybe cooking, for example. Maybe you would like to, to one day reach the status of master chef. Or maybe you'd like to be really good at playing a musical instrument, uh, the piano, perhaps. Or maybe you'd like to improve your tennis serve or your golf swing, or maybe become a fashion connoisseur. Well, sure, you might get better at doing those things through lots of trial and error, but we all know that the best way to get better at something is by learning from someone who's already good at it. So if you want to improve your cooking, then sitting in a masterclass with Jamie Oliver would surely hone your skills. Or if you want to be a better pianist, then closely studying the works and techniques of someone like Beethoven will no doubt set you in the right direction. Or if you want to improve your tennis serve or your golf swing, then spending a day being coached by somebody like Serena Williams or Carrie Webb would have to be brilliant for your game. And of course, if it's fashion advice you're after, then I'm always here to help. Okay. Yes, learning from the masters. <laughs> Modelling yourself off them can be very, very beneficial, can't it? And you know what? So too it is with prayer. I wonder if prayer is something that you'd like to be better at. I wonder if that's something you strive for. Well, it's so good. Because as Christians, prayer is how we communicate with God. Prayer is an incredible privilege. The God of the universe invites us to talk with him. And because he listens to us, our prayers have inestimable power. So it's right and good that we would want to be the best prayers we can be. Well, today we begin a brand new sermon series looking at the book of Colossians. And in this first passage of the book, we're going to have the opportunity to learn from a prayer master, from the Apostle Paul. Now, it's, if you don't already have the book of Colossians open in front of you, can I encourage you, grab a Bible now. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. You'll find it on page 883 of the small print, 1831 of the large print Bibles. Colossians chapter 1. Now, the book of Colossians is actually a letter. A letter. Does anybody, does anybody remember what a letter is? That's right. A letter is one of those things the postman used to bring us uh, in the days before email. Now, what does he bring us? Just bills, isn't it? But the book of Colossians, it is a real, a genuine letter. And uh, it's been written by the Apostle Paul with his colleague Timothy named as co-sender. And as Paul writes this letter, it seems that he's doing so from jail. Why do I say that? Well, later on in the letter, Paul will talk about being in chains for Christ. And he'll also refer to a, a fellow prisoner. So it seems he's writing this letter from jail, probably being in jail because of preaching the gospel. And so it's a letter written from Paul, and it's a letter written to a bunch of Christians, Christians living in the city of Colossae. 
which if it existed today, it doesn't, but if it did, you'd find it sort of in the southeast region of modern-day Turkey, Colossae. We, we know that the recipients of this letter are Christians because Paul addresses them as holy and faithful brothers in Christ. He read with me the beginning of this letter, uh, the letter to the Colossians from chapter 1, verse 1. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. And with that introduction over, Paul then gets into the letter proper. And it begins on a real high. Uh, Paul tells the Colossians that he's been praying for them. And he tells them that every time he prays for them, oh, he can't help himself, he, he just has to thank God for them. And why does Paul thank God for these Colossians? Well, because he's heard two encouraging things about them. Okay, firstly, he's heard of their faith in Christ. And secondly, he's heard about their love for all the saints. So firstly, he's heard about their faith in Christ. In other words, Paul's heard that these Christians are trusting in Jesus. They're following Jesus. They're living for Jesus in the day-to-day decisions of life. So despite the array of gods and lifestyles on offer there in that city of Colossae, these Colossians are living for Jesus. They're trusting him and so it causes Paul to give thanks to God for that. Secondly, Paul has heard about the Colossians' love for all the saints and this makes him thank God too. In other words, Paul has heard that these Colossians are are taking a genuine interest in the lives of of their fellow believers, in other Christians. They're looking out for one another. They're taking opportunities to care for each other, no doubt making sure other Christians are are followed up and prayed for. They're loving all the saints. And so now, because of their faith and their love, Paul thanks God. But Paul's thanksgiving goes even deeper than this. Because you see, Paul knows that the only reason these Colossians are living lives of faith and love is because something has changed deep inside them. Now, these Colossians have a hope, a hope deep in their hearts. The hope that they took hold of when they first heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. See, they heard the good news The good news about Jesus dying on a cross for their sins, that they might be forgiven, that they might be reconciled to the God of the universe. And now that good news, that gospel, has filled them with hope, filled them with a certain expectation of of eternal life, of one day being with Jesus, their saviour, An expectation of a future without death or mourning or crying or pain. A wonderful hope that's now stored up for them in heaven. In other words, a hope that's now safe and secure and can never be taken away. And it's this hope that now motivates these Christians to have faith in Christ and to love all the saints. And that makes sense, doesn't it? 
I mean, if the Colossians are confident of one day being with God, if that is their hope, then of course they've got to keep trusting Jesus because they know that he's the only way to God. And if the Colossians know that they'll one day spend all eternity with their fellow Christians, if that is their hope, then of course it makes sense that they'll look after them now, love them now. And so Paul gives thanks that the gospel has put this hope in the Colossians' hearts that is now spurring them on to live lives of faith and love. Do you get it? Not that the gospel is only working this way in the city of Colossae. Now, Paul says that, he's, that, that it's been having the same effect all over the known world. It's just that they're in Colossae. They happen to hear the gospel from a man named Epaphras, a man who was probably sent to the city by Paul himself. Uh, the same Epaphras who has now come back and reported to Paul on how the Colossians have been going since receiving the gospel. Here, read with me. Read with me all about Paul's prayers of thanksgiving for the Colossians uh, from verse 3. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. And so what's really interesting here is it seems that Paul has never actually even met these Colossians. Instead, it seems that he simply sent Epaphras to them to, to share the gospel with them. And now it's Epaphras who has come back to report to Paul on how the Colossians have been going. So it's very interesting to think that even though Paul hasn't met these Colossians here he is still taking such an interest in them and uh, thanking God for their spiritual growth. But that's not the end of Paul's prayers for the Colossians. Now, in the next section of today's passage, we learn that Paul now prays for, well, he prays for even more spiritual growth in the Colossians. And so where we might call those first prayers that we just looked at, we might call them prayers of thanksgiving... Well, we might call these next prayers uh, prayers of intercession. Okay, that's the fancy word some pe people sometimes use. Prayers of intercession or prayers of requests for others. In fact, Paul says that he's been praying for the Colossians ever since he first heard about them. Praying for them without stopping, he says. Now, when he says that, I don't think he means he's been praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week for them, like, you know, something you might read about in Guinness Book of World Records or something. No, instead, I think it simply means that, well, at the very least, he has been committed to praying for these Colossians regularly as part of his set prayer times. 
More than that, I think it probably means that he's been praying for these Colossians throughout the day too. As they come to his mind, he prays for them. But what in particular has Paul been praying for these Colossians? Well, he's been praying that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. He's been praying that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. In other words, that these Colossians would truly understand how God wants them to live and then wisely live that out. So that as they live there in this pagan city of Colossae, where immorality and idolatry abound, these Colossians will be able to live God's way, rejecting all that's false and all that's ungodly. After all, how else can the Colossians ever live lives worthy of God? How else can they ever live lives that please God unless they know God's will, unless they know what God wants from them? And so that's why Paul prays this prayer for them. And what does it look like to live a life that pleases God? Well, I'm sure there are lots of answers to that question, but in his prayers for the Colossians, Paul focuses on four specific areas. First, he prays that they will bear fruit in every good work. He prays that they'll bear fruit in every good work. In other words, he prays that they'll do lots and lots of good stuff. Things that, that please God, you know, doubt, no doubt things like helping the poor, um, serving their church family, uh, offering hospitality, um, supporting gospel workers, uh, sharing the gospel themselves. You see, good and godly deeds that in turn bear fruit as people are drawn to Christ through them. That's one thing that pleases God. And so that's why Paul has been praying it for the Colossians. Secondly, he prays that the Colossians will grow in their knowledge of God. Their knowledge of God. So it's not good enough for the Colossians to just do good stuff for God without ever really growing in their relationship with him. That would be a little bit like the husband who, who mows the lawn for his wife and... Uh, takes out the rubbish for her and uh, financially provides for her, but never actually takes the time to get to know his wife, to actually talk with her, uh, to ask her about her day. See, his wife wants more than just good works from him. She wants a relationship. And so too it is with God. The Colossians need to keep growing in their relationship with him, uh, listening to his word, uh, walking with him day by day. And so Paul here prays that the Colossians will know God. Thirdly, thirdly, Paul prays that the Colossians will have endurance and patience. Endurance and patience. In other words, he prays that God, by his mighty power, will give the Colossians strength to endure to the end that they won't give up, that even though they're faced with all kinds of trials and temptations in this life, even though they, they're mocked and discouraged there in that city of Colossae, he prays that these Colossians will stay true to Jesus because obviously when they do, well, that pleases God too. 
And then fourth and finally, Paul prays that the Colossians will overflow with joyful thanksgiving. That's the next one, joyful thanksgiving. As they think about their amazing salvation, Paul prays that they'd be continually blown away by the thought that God has now given them a share in the new heavens and earth, the glorious inheritance of all God's people. He prays that they would be continually blown away by the thought that they've now been rescued from Satan's kingdom of darkness and slavery and death and hopelessness and, and brought into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom where Jesus reigns. Because Jesus loved them enough to redeem them and forgive them of their sins. You see, God has given these Colossians the amazing, the priceless gift of salvation. And so, of course, it pleases God when the Colossians turn to God joyfully, say, saying thank you for that wonderful gift. Here, read with me uh, the content of Paul's prayer of intercession for these Colossians, starting in verse 9. Verse 9, read with me. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might, may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so Paul prays this prayer of intercession for the Colossians. And with that, we reach the end of today's passage. Well, how did you go? Did you understand this first section of Paul's letter? Uh, hardly the uh, flowery, poetic language of Song of Songs, is it? Quite complex, when you, particularly when we first look at it. So, so rich, so dense. Uh, each phrase here packed with enough meaning for an entire sermon. But you know what? When we strip it all back and think of it at its most simple level, I, I don't think it's that hard to understand this passage at all. The Apostle Paul is here writing a letter to the Christians in Colossae. And he begins by telling them that he has been praying for them. Firstly, he tells them that he has been giving thanks to God for the spiritual growth in their lives. And then secondly, he's been praying for even more of the same. That the Colossians would go from strength to strength as Christians, as they get to know God better and understand more and more what pleases him. Now, I don't think this is that hard to understand at all, do you? And so I, I think it's useful for us to pause for a moment and and think now about what it is that we can learn here from Paul's prayers for the Colossians. To think for a moment about this God-inspired prayer of the Apostle. That we might use it to become better prayers ourselves. Not that I think these short 
verses tell us everything we could ever learn about praying. No, of course not. But there's certainly enough in them to give us plenty to think about. And so to to finish, to finish, here are five things for us that I think we learn from Paul's prayers for the Colossians. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, number one, praying for other Christians. First of all, like Paul, we need to be praying for other Christians. In Paul's prayers here, he is obviously doing that, isn't he? And I know that it seems like such a basic concept, praying for other Christians. But I wonder if that is something that you do when you pray. Are you committed to praying for other Christians? Or do you find that your prayers concentrate primarily on yourself? on your own needs, on your own desires. Not that praying for yourself is wrong. Of course it is not wrong. We should be praying for ourselves. There's a problem if we're not praying for ourselves. But we should be praying for others as well. As we study Paul's prayers here, we see that we should be committed to praying for other Christians. That's the first thing we learn. Secondly, Secondly, it's interesting, isn't it, for us to think about the content of Paul's prayers for the Colossians. First of all, he gives thanks to God for the Colossians. Then second, he intercedes for them. But what has he actually thanked God for? What has he actually prayed for? Well, ultimately, it's all about the spiritual growth of these Colossians, isn't it? I wonder if that's what your prayers for other people are like, focusing on their spiritual growth. For example, if you've got kids, okay, if you've got kids, when you pray for your kids, you know, do you find yourself just simply you know, giving thanks for when your kids get good marks at school, for example? Or are you thanking God also when you see spiritual growth in your kids? You know, when you see them actually loving their siblings, when you see them actually depending on God in prayer, when you notice them them developing a hunger for God's word, are you thanking God for spiritual growth in their lives then? And likewise, when you intercede for other Christians... Do your prayers have an emphasis on their spiritual growth or just that their lives would be easy and free of trouble? Not that it's wrong to pray for help in trouble. Of course it's not wrong. But we need to make sure that we are praying for spiritual growth too. And so, for example, when you might hear of a a Christian couple who would really like to have children, well, of course we can pray that God would give them kids. But maybe like Paul, we can pray for endurance and patience for that couple as well as they wait for God's answer. And maybe we can pray that God would keep, uh, that God would help them to, to, to be filled with thankfulness and joy at the thought of their salvation. You know, whatever disappointments or, or happy surprises life might hold for them. And so secondly, I think Paul's prayers teach us to think about the content 
of our prayers for others and concentrating on spiritual growth. Thirdly, thirdly, I think that Paul's prayers for the Colossians teach us something about the need for consistency in our prayers for others. Paul speaks of how he's prayed for the Colossians without stopping. I think that that shows us that he was committed to praying for these people. He prayed for them regularly. So I think that shows us just how important their spiritual growth is to Paul. It isn't just a a one-off prayer point for him. No, it's too important for that. And so it's an ongoing, constant prayer request. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that for me personally, I find this kind of consistency in prayer really rather difficult. Uh, The fact is I'm I'm naturally forgetful. And uh, the fact is I'm naturally well, self-focused in my prayers too. And so I know that I've got to find ways to help myself remember other Christians on a regular basis. How do I do that? Well, in my own set times of prayer, I follow a daily prayer schedule, a list of different things that I want to pray for on different days of the week, a list that includes spiritual growth for other Christians. If you don't know what I mean by a daily prayer schedule or if you uh, don't know how to make your own, then I've put an example of one back on the back bookshelf and uh, you're free to take one as you leave this morning, modify it, make it your own, make it work for you. Uh, Here's what it looks like up on the screen. There's a list of uh, prayer points for each day of the week. Uh, You see there? Let's have a closer look at Monday, shall we? Let's see what Monday has in store for us. Well, we begin with praise, praising God. Then we've we've got confession, confessing our sin to God. Then we've got uh, thanksgiving. And on Monday, it's specifically thanking God for our salvation, which, of course, is something we learnt today actually pleases God. And uh, then we've got some everyday prayers, uh, especially praying for immediate family members. So we're praying this every day, trying to be consistent in our prayers for those particular people. Then we're trying to be consistent in our prayers for other people too. And so on Monday, we're praying for siblings, uh, for example. And then we're praying for people in the church prayer diary. Uh, And then we're praying for a missionary. And then we're praying for somebody in uh, your Bible study group, And then finishing by praying for a certain character trait for yourself. And on Monday, the character trait there is is patience, which again we learned today is something that pleases God. So you see, that's an example of a, of a, a daily prayer schedule. And if you don't know what I mean when I mention the church prayer diary, well, that's this document here. Uh, Inside is a list of the names of, of most people in our church. And it's an opportunity for us to pray regularly for them. And again, if you don't have this document, then you'll find plenty of them available on the back bookshelf. Just grab one on the way out this morning. So there you go. There are just a couple of ways that we can help ourselves be consistent in our prayers for others. Fourthly. Fourthly, I think that we learn from Paul's prayers here that we need to be proactive and not just reactive in our prayers for others. What do I mean by that? 
Well, notice that Paul's given thanks here for the spiritual growth of these Colossians. Okay, he's given thanks for how they're going as Christians. Notice that as far as he's concerned, they're going pretty well as Christians. And yet, Paul is still taking the opportunity to proactively pray for even more spiritual growth in their lives. Now, I wonder if you take this same approach in your prayers for others. I suspect our natural response is to allow our prayers to be dominated with concerns for people who are, who are struggling in one way or another. Not that we shouldn't be praying for help for those people. Of course we should. It's just that, it's just that if we're only praying for people facing crises then we'll be failing to pray for those people who are going well too. But what do they say? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. People who are going well as Christians need our prayers too, so that they'll keep going well as Christians. But more than that, so they'll flourish as Christians. And again, I think that's where a, a daily prayer schedule can really help us to, to not be limited to crisis-orientated prayers, but also prayers for those who are going spiritually well. So we need to be proactive, not just reactive in our prayers for others. And then finally, fifth and finally, I think that Paul's prayers for the Colossians here challenge us to think about who it is that we pray for. Now, what is really, really striking here is that Paul has never even met these people. And yet here he is, he's so committed to praying for them consistently. Now, of course, we can't pray for everyone. But I think that this, this, these prayers teach us that there is a place for us regularly praying for a few categories of people outside of our circle of acquaintances. Who might that be? Well, of course, I think one obvious answer to that question is that we could be praying for our mission partners and praying for those people that they tell us about when they send us their updates. We could be praying for them, can't we? We've never met them, but we can be praying for them. We can certainly take a greater interest in the lives of Christians in Ecuador, Portugal, Bangladesh, even Chatswood High School or any other place we hear reports of what's, what God's been doing among his people. And then I think this very same principle also extends to us praying through our own church prayer diary as well. Friends, I know as you work through this list, you won't know all these people. But you know what? It's not all that important. The important thing is that God knows them. He knows each and every one. And who knows, as you work your way through this prayer diary, praying for even people you, do not, you don't know, who knows? You might even get to meet somebody that you've been praying for for the very first time in heaven. And who knows? Maybe that there in heaven that person might come up to you and say, hi, I've never met you before. I just wanted to introduce myself. And I just wanted to say... Thanks so much. Thanks so much for your consistent prayers for me. I'm here because of you. 
because of your prayers for me. And you see these other people? I've brought them here too because of those same prayers that you've prayed for me. What an amazing thought that is. Friends, in these lives of ours, there are probably lots and lots of things that we'd like to be better at. Cooking, playing the piano, our tennis serve, our golf swing. But it's our prayers that matter the most. So let's learn from a prayer master. Let's learn from the Apostle Paul. And let's learn to pray consistent, proactive prayers for other Christians even Christians we don't know. Thanking God for the spiritual growth in their lives and asking him for even more of the same. Well, to finish this morning, we are going to do something just a little bit different. We are going to finish this time in prayer, yes, but we're going to finish by putting some of these these principles into practice right now. Uh, We're going to have our second prayers now. And if you never noticed, the second prayers in our church are prayers of thanksgiving and intercession. And uh, Jeff is going to lead us in those prayers now. Thanks, Jeff. Do please join me as we pray. I'm going to begin uh, with praying the Lord's Prayer. And if you'd like to pray with me the same words, you can find them on the inside cover of the Bible that should just be near you. And then we will pray with thanks and uh, prayers to God. Please join me as we pray. Starting with the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you this morning for your work in people's lives. Thank you that over the centuries, millions upon millions of people have trusted Jesus and been saved from their sin and its consequences. Thank you that people from every nation have trusted Jesus and been saved. We thank you that the message of the gospel has even come all the way here to Australia. Thank you for the many people who worked hard so that people in Australia could hear about Jesus and put their faith in him. Uh, People even like Isaac Newton and others who uh, conspired to send Richard Johnson here to the colony. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the work of the gospel in Australia and we thank you for the people who shared the message about Jesus with us as well. Thank you for our own church. Thank you for the many people in the last 118 years who have trusted Jesus and faithfully served him and loved your people. Father, we thank you for the many evidences of faith in Jesus that we've seen in history. Thank you for Christian endeavours in areas like healthcare, education, justice, democracy, liberty, caring for the poor, the sick and the elderly. Thank you for every evidence of faith and of love for people that Christians have shown. We thank you, even Father, for the work that you are doing in our own church at the moment. Thank you that lots of people are coming to our church. Thank you that they're hearing about Jesus from your word. And thank you that they are trying hard to live your way and to love each other. Gracious God, we do pray for the Christians of our world. Please help us to know more and more how much Jesus loves us. And help us in response to love you 
and our neighbour. Please help Christians who are persecuted to love even their enemies. We pray for the church throughout the world. We think especially of the places where our missionaries are serving, Portugal, Ecuador, Bangladesh, New Zealand, amongst the Jewish people in Sydney, the Chatswood High School and in Florence. Uh, we pray for the church in these places. We pray for the church in our own nation and for our own church as well. Father, please help us all to bear fruit in every good work. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you. Help us to persevere no matter what. And help us to joyfully thank you for the great rescue that is ours in Christ. We do think particularly of our missionaries in Florence, uh, Andrew and Sarah Lubbock. Please grant them uh, continued growth in their love for you and effectiveness in their witness to you. We pray that their children will be settling well in school and will be holding fast to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for the church in Vigna Vecchia and for its elders, Giovanni and Guido. Please, we pray that that church would be united and united in the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help Giovanni and Guido to teach the truth faithfully and clearly. Uh, we pray also for the Logos Church there in Florence and for its pastors, Andrea and Pietro. We pray that they would be faithful, godly Christians and would teach the truth about Jesus and that people would grow in their knowledge of him. And we pray also for Andrea Betulini and for his ministry with Andrew on campus at Florence University. We ask that Andrea would be increasingly equipped for a lifetime of faithful service to Jesus. Thank you for the many men who went to men's convention yesterday and who will go again next week and who will go next weekend. Uh, please help them to rely on the victory of Jesus and to fight gamely against the world, the flesh and the devil. We pray for Mark Scott, whom we heard from yesterday in his role as general manager of the ABC. Help him to have a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help him to live and to speak consistently as a Christian. And please give him wisdom to use his position of influence for your glory. We pray for those who are sick in our church. We think of Tom Nestel and Laurie Cree and Barry Breeze and others. Please heal and comfort and strengthen them. Help them to keep trusting you no matter what. Uh, please also comfort those who mourn among us. We pray that all who are suffering, that you would please grant them endurance and great patience. We think of those on our prayer diary for today. We thank you for Tim and Lucy with Oliver and Jemima, for Deborah with Marcus, Luke and Angelina, for Harry and Sonny over in Perth with Zach, Ethan and uh, uh, Nathaniel, and uh, we pray also for Cherry Box Owen and uh, Layla and Manon. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would be at work in all of these people. We thank you for granting them faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray that by your power you would help them to know what you want so that they can live in a way that is pleasing to you all of their days. Father, we pray for ourselves. We're sorry for our prayerlessness. Sorry that our prayers are often selfish and concerned with our own comfort. Please help us to pray regularly prayers for all sorts of people that will reflect your goodwill for them. And finally, Father, we ask you to please send Jesus back to this world. Bring evil and rebellion against you to an end and establish the new creation, the home of righteousness. We ask you these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.